This podcast is proudly supported by Red Energy, most satisfied customers 11 years in a row. Isn't it time you called Red Energy on 131 806? Will Smith's actions were against the law. I don't care what excuse anybody uses about chivalry or protecting the family you love. It's violence and it needs to be called out. It was a violent act. I'm asking you, if you'd been there, would you have run onto the ground? Oh, yeah, I would have got carried away with the moment, totally. I, I just thought it was amazing that so many older people ran onto the ground. That no, was a, I wasn't. It, it showed how separate we've come from our stars and how much we love being able to, to touch them again. I'm back to cacking myself. Where did it go? It just disappeared from a lingo. I love it. Warwick Kappa was a removalist. She was living in <laughs> Sydney. And I hope Gabs doesn't mind me telling this story. Gab said to Warwick, look, I'm a bit disappointed that my cushions have gone missing. And Warwick goes, yeah, I'll be spewing too. <laughs> and to this day in our family, it's just become, yeah, I'll be spewing too. <laughs> Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. Hello and welcome to episode 211 of Don't Shoot the Messenger. I'm Caroline Wilson. I'm here today in a post-Oscar furor with my friend and colleague Corrie Perkin. Hey, Corrie. Oh, hi, Caro. What a big night in LA. It was a very big night in Hollywood. Um, Hooray for Hollywood not, I would say. There is many, I have many thoughts about the Oscars and most of them are negative, but I've I have seen the Oscar-winning film and I'm going to review it in our extended BSF in a moment. Thank you to our show sponsors, Red Energy, most satisfied customers 12 years in a row, and, of course, Prince Wine Store. Miles is coming in to talk liqueurs today and liqueurs with a difference, Corrie. We're bringing back the, post, the post-dinner the post liqueur, maybe a bit of a cocktail, maybe they, a bit of digestive. Did they ever disappear? Well, you think they did. <laughs> Anyway, um, we should tell you again that we have our live event coming up Thursday, May the 5th at Bell's Hotel in South Melbourne from 5.30. That's when we kick off the Mother's Day event. Please come along and see us and some very special guests at Bell's Hotel for our Mother's Day event. 5.30, we kick off. And Jane, you're going to tell everyone how they can buy tickets. Yes, you can uh, grab tickets via the links. If you subscribe to our weekly little email of the show notes, I'm putting all the links in there. If you just click on what we call the show notes, it's just the description for this episode. There'll be a link. So wherever you're listening, just go to the notes or the show description and there's a link there as well. If you're having any issues, just email me, feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au. So tickets are $60. That includes food and drink and us and a donation to the Breast Cancer Network Australia. So please, we would love to see you. Caro, can I just say, <clears throat> the last time we had an event at Bell's, it was such a great night and it was in 2019. It's been a long time since we've got the band back together. But one of the things I noticed about that night was a lot of people came with with buddies, with friends. Some people brought their mums or their sisters it was just such a cohesive night. What I love about the potties is you sit down and everybody starts talking to each other, even if you don't know anybody. And I noticed all these absolutely random conversations happening. We all, men and women of all different ages and all different backgrounds in the one room, just sharing just sharing joy being together, talking a bit of footy, a bit of politics, books, film, a few laughs. Please think about coming along, everybody, because it's been a long time for many of us since we've been in a room and gathered. Yes, I'm sorry. Well over two years, in fact. I said one year. In fact, it's nearly three years. Corrie, you um, turned back the clock last weekend and you went to the Belmont Market and held a bookstall. Now, how did it go? Did you meet any podcast friends? I did. Some podcast friends rocked up. Belmont Market is one of Geelong's hidden treasures. We talked about how much we love Geelong a couple of weeks ago, Caro. And um, the reason for having the market to to say goodbye to the last of the bookshop books to have it in Belmont was because poor old Coco and Charlie, uh, when we packed up the bookshop, they ended up with about 16 boxes of books in their spare room. They just took the trailer away from the shop down to Geelong and for seven months I've been very mindful of the fact they can't get into their spare room. So we went to Belmont. It was a beautiful day on Sunday, a really wonderful community market. It was so good to be out in the open again and thank you to the potties who visited us. One potty in particular, do you remember your Julie Heard episode? Yes, 
Yes, and I and so I then lovely Julie Heard came got up back and in said, touch oh, with I, my friend Julie Heard. I'm the Julie Heard who Caro sent the heartfelt message about Rose and the baby and where she'd been and what had been happening and everything. And Jared Tickell, <laughs> whose book I'm actually reading at the moment, the and, and then Saint Julie Heard said, and I had to had to fess up and say, Caro, I'm not the Julie Heard. <laughs> <laughs> I'm another Julie Heard. This Julie, our potty Julie Heard, told me that years ago she knew that there was a Canberra journalist called Julie Hurt, who's your friend. Anyway, point of this, uh, it was lovely to say hello to her, but Julie gave me a little gift. It was actually for me, but I said, look, I'll share one of them with Cara. Sorry, Jane, you miss out. But she showed me, she said, this this was my lockdown this was my lockdown activity. She has made the most beautiful patchwork wallet and we'll have a photograph on it on our, of what, on our Instagram account. I was so inspired because, you know, I've always wanted to do patchwork. So really Hold it up so that. I can see it in front of Jane's beautiful flowers. Oh, it's beautiful. Isn't it gorgeous? It's like my grandmother's quilt in my spare room at home. Well, Julie said she took herself into the patchwork world and making these little little purses, little wallets during lockdown. And, and inside she's given me and now I'm giving one to you, these homemade beautiful soaps, not made with palm oil, but they are so stunning. I'm just choosing which one I want, so I'm going to give you the one I don't want. Well, I mean, I want them both, but I'm going to be generous. Um, So here's a little little cake of soap for you. Julie, thank you very much, and thank you to everybody who popped into the store. It was great to be out in the open sharing sharing it with. And can I just say, last night I went to my first in an auditorium event, obviously, um, since all of this began two years ago, at the Wheeler Centre, my beloved Wheeler Centre, Professor Peter Doherty, the Nobel Prize winning um, immunologist, scientist, extraordinary Australian, amazing Melbourneian, in conversation. Uh, It was just such a wonderful gathering. And this event had been cancelled twice because of different lockdowns. And it was just lovely to have him in the room. And there were about, I suppose, 70, 80, 90 people in the room uh, Melbourne had a spring in its step last night, Cara, for a midweek night. It had a spring in its step. I know the weather has a lot to do with it, but people are out and about. A lot of restaurants are still not open on Monday and Tuesday nights because of staff issues and COVID. But it was really great to see Melbourne and be back at the Wheeler Centre. I'm glad for you. I had a I had a, a podcast experience the other day. I was walking early in the morning with uh, my friend Katie, who's like you, blonde and very pretty, and a oh, woman thanks. and a woman came up. If to I us looked half, if I looked half like Katie, I'd be so. And thrilled. a woman came up to us, a lovely lady, and said, "I'm listening to you as I'm walking along." And she <laughs> thought that Kate was Corrie. <laughs> Kate had to explain. Anyway, it was just quite a funny. Do you remember that day of... you and I were walking along the street, uh, um, the Back Beach Road, and and a woman stopped us and just was in shock and said, "I'm listening to you <laughs> in my headphones." Oh, very funny. Oh, well, we love you all, everybody. Thanks for listening. Now, yeah. we've had a lot of correspondence this week. Um, well, speaking of correspondence, don't remember, don't forget our uh, bonus episode every week now, Dear Caro and Corrie, where we, well, we don't always really solve your dilemmas, but we do give our two bobs worth. Oh, we love dissecting them and workshopping them. We've got a great one today. Uh, it sort of vaguely involves social media, but it vaguely doesn't. Anyway, um, a lot of uh, correspondence on the Tom Morris Luke Beveridge issue. Um, a lot of it very negative, much of it um, directed at me, some of it very negative. That's not true. Most of it positive. Um Look, um, and we thank everybody. Like we don't mind yes. criticism at all. We love the feedback, and a couple of you did really make us think about uh, about the issue a little bit more. And I think that's always a good thing. But there was so much correspondence, we can't go through it all. But no, we we can't. But I, one thing I will say, Corey, is I don't think this is a um, position of privilege issue. That would be the only thing I would say. I don't think this is just stuff that comes from privileged white males. Um, There was a a column in the Herald Sun that made it sort of an issue about Melbourne Grammar where Tom Morris went to school, which I thought was a little bit unfair because um, he'd talked about, you know, in an article, in an interview with the Melbourne Grammar magazine a few years ago, how he extolled the the value, he'd learned a lot from the values he learned at Melbourne Grammar. Well, clearly, you know, that what he did is not Melbourne Grammar's fault. And I don't think it's only privileged white males who make the sort of comments that Tom Morris did. Anyway, that's um, and I don't think it's privileged people sticking up for privileged people because I was horrified by what he said, particularly about one of his Fox 
footy Fox Sports colleagues and I think it's provoked a lot of conversation about from and about women in the media, a strong response, um, really good column in The Age this week written by Greg Baum and Sam McClure about what it means to be gay in this football very, for a long time, you know, very strong masculine, occasionally toxic masculine world and why if you're a male, you just it's just not worth coming out if, if you were gay in this industry, although some male media and administrators have, it would just be too hard from a footballing point of view. But please don't think anyone that we weren't pretty disgusted with Look, what Tom had to say. Tom Morris, Tom Morris and his gang and all the gangs of people who who have these sorts of, they think, private conversations, it's not on. Don't have these conversations and you and I abhor that. Uh, where there was a bit of criticism toward you and I also, Cara, was the fact that we thought that if he showed enough contrition and if he learnt from the error of his ways and if he really started to understand the consequences of his actions. We, as a society, must always think that somebody can be redeemed. Of and I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to sound... a road back for Yeah, me. and I don't want definitely. to sound, you know, too religious on that point of view. But but if we condemn everybody to a cell for the rest of their lives, where would we be as, as a society? And that's what you and I were saying. This, is a, this was a gifted reporter who's just made a terrible... Well, not even error. Like he's just, he has to really have. Show the side of himself that he needs to get rid of. He needs to get rid of, exactly. So anyway, it was a really interesting conversation. We had lots of emails and thank you, everybody. Um, Our friend Anita Zima via email, she found more offensive um, his, not not so much his comments about his colleague, but about why he should be loved, you know, know, the comments about he's not Asian, not female, et cetera, et cetera, not gay. Anita despaired when she heard that because she thought white privileged males completely out of touch with 2022 Australia. Um, It's funny, you know, I think those comments were made five or six years ago by a very different, stupid young Tom Morris, but they didn't offend me so much. I thought there was a a touch of irony about them. So everyone, you know, had a different reason to be upset. But she talks about a road to redemption where he and his friends could meet and learn from wiser men and women, the elders in our community, so they can reflect on their weird frame of reference. She would then have him speak at all of those schools our boys went to, which is seemingly breeding too many out-of-touch 21st century men. I mean, I, I don't think it's necessarily a school thing, but maybe anyway. Well, I think her idea there is you get in touch with young boys, you know, you start early. You yes. really do, and 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 I know, and I know there are schools, and they're not just private schools. Um, schools all over that have very important programs with with young boys talking about respect for women and respect for others. Well, Anita says that the privileged, prejudiced parents aren't doing their jobs either. Although she does say she feels sorry for his family, as Tim, that's the father of Tom Morris, who I talked about last week, didn't seem to have any of those characteristics. Anyway. We've put that one to bed. Uh, Justine Keach via Facebook Messenger loves the show, was perplexed and felt we were a bit blasé in dismissing the Kimberley Kitchen issue as a factional dispute when Julia Banks made similar claims, read the libs, our outrage was palpable. Men are not the only gender who can mistreat women. Anyone in a position of power should be held to account. Absolutely true, Justine. I don't think we did dismiss it as a factional issue. I think we made the point that this has put Anthony Albanese in a, or it did put him in a really tough position. Yeah, exactly. And I said if if the news cycle as lasts, it for, lasts for a week, they're going to be, you know, the LP is going to be in trouble, which it is because coming here to the studio today, I heard Anthony Albanese interviewed on radio, and once again, Patricia Carvelis raised the issue of are you going to have an inquiry? It's difficult, and. Uh, probably the reason, well, two reasons I think we haven't given it a lot of discussion is firstly, we had other issues last week and the week before. Um, So we had a very full agenda. But more importantly with Julia Banks, Justine, I would just say that Julia Banks had a book that came out which received a lot of, uh, which was her assessment of what had happened to her. It received a lot of publicity. She came onto the podcast as a guest and we were thrilled to have her. And during that discussion, we just, we discussed a lot of bad behavior on both sides of the aisle and both gender, both both men and women in positions of power. And yes, why they should be held accountable for their actions. So I think probably suggesting that Carol and I have come down on this from a, 
on a with a political bias is not quite right. We had Julia Banks in our studio and we gave it a lot of airtime because we had a, had a really good guest. It's just so sad that Kimberly's no longer with us and can't speak for herself exactly. because I would love to talk to her about it. It's just a, an absolute tragedy. Anyway, Corrie, you told me I had to watch the Oscars. It wasn't a tough gig because you know we look forward to it every year and this was a sort of a post-COVID Oscars. Now, before we have a listen to what happened between Will Smith and Chris Rock, just a warning that there is some swearing. Of course, Australian audiences heard the F word several times. American audiences didn't, which was sort of un- unusual because what we saw on the Seven Network certainly wasn't um, wasn't censored. So, um, yes, if, Kevin, Kevin from Geelong, block your ears. If you are going to be offended, don't listen. But I think you probably will listen. <laughs> Wow. Will Smith just smacked the shit out of me. Keep my wife's name out your fucking mouth. Wow, dude. Yes. It was a G.I. Jane jump. Keep my wife's name out your fucking mouth. I'm going to, okay? <laughs> I can, oh, okay. That was a... Uh... Greatest night in the history of television. Okay. Well, it was certainly um, a very, it was a staggering, a staggering event. Um, as we sit here today, Corrie, the incident is done and dusted not because um, the Academy, which, you know, it must be said, um, their response to this at the time was um, on a par with um, the security at the SCG last Friday night when Buddy kicked his thousandth goal. No, there was no one was expecting it, whereas they were expecting Lance Franklin by the time he did it to kick his thousandth goal. But um, the security completely failed, and it was a great night at the SCG. But it wasn't a great. That night is an amazing. That's an amazing tie-in. Well, no one. No I'm one not did, with you on the journey. No there. one did anything. There was this <laughs> moment of violence. Yeah, and, so and now, people are in shock. Look, it. it <laughs> Americans are so funny, the way they take them. The LAPD are not going to press charges. Chris Rock is not going to press charges. But a review has been conducted into what happened. And what it, there were so many fails on in, in that whole incident. You know, what happened after that was that um, Will Smith won the Oscar for his portrayal of the William Mr. Well, what happened before that was Richard Denzel Williams. Washington and a number of them were consoling Will Smith in the ad break. So you can and, actually see on YouTube somebody and Brad Cooper Yeah, and, somebody yep. somebody up in the up, upstairs in the gods has taken video of following Will Smith as soon as the ad break came. And he was surrounded by supporters and I'm just wondering in hindsight how are they feeling about that today? We spoke about Will Smith and his wife Jada after the BAFTAs, when Rebel Wilson had um, taken a pot shot at them, had poked fun at their marriage, their open marriage, and he put a statement out after that. There were jokes at the start of the show about the open marriage again um, on Oscar night. Um, he laughed away. He actually laughed at the Chris Rock joke, which referred to his wife's baldness, um, saying he's looking forward to seeing her in G.I. Jane 2. Um, Jada suffers from alopecia, which is a you know obviously a... Are really it can emotionally crippling, if not physically crippling illness. Um, he laughed. Then he saw her, she rolled her eyes. He then went up and attacked Chris Rock. Now, you know it does seem to be that the Oscars have begun. And you know back in the day when Billy Crystal hosted, he did poke fun at people. But I don't know it. It just wasn't quite so personal and so pointed. And I don't. It, it has turned into a bit of a roast. The Oscars, where you make fun of people and bag them. And there is a line that maybe they have crossed. But, you know, watching Will Smith accept his Oscar for King Richard, I just thought, oh, my Lord, you you people are just totally out of touch. I mean, he made this speech about how he was on some higher plane and God had a new purpose for him to love. And, um, you know, he compared himself to Richard Williams and talked about how Richard Williams, you know, people thought he was a bit of a nut for defending his family. And he's just like, I mean... What the Williams family, who were all there, must have thought of that whole thing. Oh, I mean, how do you it, create distance from something like that? The, the guy is—he he was unhinged. Well, well, look, Caro, uh, there's just so much to unpack here. First of all, I go back to something that I said on the podcast when we first began our podcast in 2017, with the rise and rise of the right in 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 the US and Donald Trump and the uh, culture of bad behaviour and getting away with it. 
it seeps into your society. It eventually does. And I think what you said about Chris Rock crossing the line with the joke is absolutely 100% right. The days when they used to, Jack Nicholson would be sitting in the front row with the with the Ray-Bans on and there'd be half a dozen Jack jokes, which were always amusing and gentle and funny. Affectionate. And, sort of affectionate. And he would be the first one chuckling away. Uh, we, we loved those days. They've totally gone and it's become personal, as you say. Um to make fun, however, to make fun however, of a person's physical appearance, especially when that appearance is the result of a terrible illness, is utterly disgusting. And I say this from experience. A friend of mine who's no longer alive, Noel Pelly, many in the arts will remember Noel as the general manager, long-time general manager of the Australian Ballet. When the dancers' strike of 1981 occurred, it was a horrendous year or two for Noel. <clears throat> And he went on a long holiday afterwards because he had a bit of a breakdown, his words, not mine, and his hair fell out and it was stress-related. And for a distinguished gentleman in a high-profile role with a good head of hair, for something like this to happen, when people in those days never talked about it, he never talked about it until later in life, and I was lucky enough to do an interview with him, but um, but also we talked about it as friends. This, this is a shocking thing when your hair falls out. Now, Jada Pinkett Smith has decided to shave her head and, you know, she's beautiful and, she, you know, she's lucky she's beautiful and it looks like a model look and that's all great. But we can't assess from the outside what's going on inside with her um, emotions to this, you know, to, to this terrible disease. So obviously Will Smith's response when he saw his wife's face, it was immediate and it was a hothead thing. But to use physical violence and also what I found just as disturbing, if not more so, was the verbal abuse, that angry swearing from someone towards somebody who's made an offensive comment. Will Smith's actions were against the law. I don't care I don't care what excuse anybody uses about chivalry or protecting the family family you love. It's violence and it needs to be called out. It was a violent act. It and was, everyone was so uncomfortable. They I were mean, so it, uncomfortable. It was a dreadful, dreadful I, moment. Weren't we, I was in shock and I kept thinking about Will Smith who's written uh, a barrel memoir um, a little while ago and he talks about his father's um, uh, physical abuse toward the mother and so on. And then the other thing that really, really stuck in my craw was in his acceptance speech, which was just a really random It was a thought. rant. It was a rant and it was just random thoughts plucked from everywhere. Was, but he did, said, did the devil but make did, him do it or did oh, God make him yeah, do it? Yeah, well, that was Denzel Washington's line. But oh, no, but when you, when you say it, he said he quoted Denzel Washington, said at your highest moment, be careful, that's when the devil comes to get you. And I thought, oh, please. But um, but was when he said, making this film, I got to protect Anjanou Ellis, who was his co-star, I got to protect Salia and Demi, who were the two girls who played Venus and Serena. Oh, protect? What What right does he have to say that? Oh, and what did he protect them from? They're in a film. They're all, he especially is being paid millions of dollars. What's the protection? Where did that paternalistic crap come from? These are women who are stars in their own right. And, uh, I was aghast at his and then, speech. And then he ends up at the Vanity Fair party dancing with all his fans to getting jiggy with it. I mean, the, it's just so classic Hollywood. But Why did he not get thrown? Where was his publicist? Or, or Well, the publicist came in. Throw him the in the car and send him home. To speak to him. And the publicist did not advise him very well when he made that speech because to talk about having a higher purpose. I mean, I know that, that one thing that resonated, you know, when you get to that point of fame, you have to put up with a lot of crass jokes made about you. And you, and you, most of the time you laugh. And he was sort of saying, but this time he couldn't laugh. The funny thing was that he did laugh when the joke was first made. And often you do laugh when a... It's when awkward. A, yeah, it's, it's an awkward response. It's an awkward laugh. So yeah, I, don't I understand blame him that. for laughing and then getting angry. But to go up and whack someone... Oh, look, anyway, as a night, Corrie, I mean, it was the most dreadful production. It was so frustrating on so many levels. So, for example, oh. for, for example... They have two of the greatest movie actors in our ever, like I was going to say in our lifetime, but ever, on the stage with one of the great directors when they had the 50th tribute to the Godfather. Or De Niro so, and Pacino. And Francis yep. Ford Coppola. So the three guys come forward and I'm expecting a moment of greatness with the three of them. Francis Ford Coppola made a terrific speech. He did not, and he should have, I believe, 
paid tribute to Marlon Brando. I thought Marlon would get a mention. Because it, Marlon Brando is the whole reason they got the movie deal. So, And Ooh. Marlon Brando was the godfather. He was the performance. But the fact that Al Pacino and Robert De Niro were not allowed or whatever happened or didn't Well, he talk. said, I, just, I wanted them here to support me. I mean, it was so, there was a lot of threesomes. So um, there was that also... That was confusing. I, lo- I, do, I did love the three female presenters. I thought Amy Schumer, every time Amy Schumer is on a stage, my heart is warm. I love some of her gags. And I loved after the Will Smith incident, she came out saying, I was just getting out of my Spider-Man costume. Did I miss anything? Oh, that, that the mood in the room's funny. changed. I thought it was, was a, quite funny. When they were all in their pyjamas at the end, that was a bit lame. It did. They, they tried to cut short the award ceremony by leaving out and just pre-filming certain awards. But seriously, it just paid the Lifetime Achievement Award. Um, uh, Liv Ullman got some special long-term award. She's sitting in the audience and they just flashed the camera to her. I mean, we would have liked to have seen Liv Ullman. That strange ending when Liza Minnelli was wheeled onto the stage with Lady Gaga. And everyone was saying Gaga was amazing. She supported Liza. But... What to give Liza Minnelli the announcement of best film when she was so clearly struggling seemed to look great to see her. Love Liza Minnelli, but very strange to see awkward. It was just awkward television. I, I didn't and mind so Uma Thurman dancing with John Travolta when um when they they did their their tribute, but I just thought it it sort of seemed a bit odd. Why why are they? doing this now. I, I don't know the whole... Uh, look, I, I agree with you. And when it started and Venus and Serena Williams were there, I thought, okay, this is this is an interesting start. And then they announced, uh, they they introduced Beyonce singing the title song to the... And then that was a big number on a tennis court. But it court. wasn't live. It wasn't live. I why mean, couldn't why it be? Didn't they do I mean, live? would we have loved Beyonce? I love Beyonce. You know me, I'm just... I am such a big Beyonce fan, but why didn't they have her live in the theatre? They had her on a tennis court. Now, that allowed them to have, you know, 50 dancers at social distancing and all appropriate and everything, but couldn't we just have Beyonce on stage, please, to make it a big number to get everybody in the mood? But they had them all on stage for the tribute to all to all the people who died, which was almost like a religious experience. Oh, I, something's happened to the Oscars. It's gone very earnest and serious. Can I talk about something completely frivolous? Pulp and that's Fiction, the f- by the way. Was the um, with Samuel L. Jackson? Yes, that's was, right. Was the dancing? But I sort of thought uh, so many jokes fell flat. And so why many. were they all sitting like they were in a cocktail lounge? Yeah, I know. What, well, I said, social distancing again. Caro, can I just talk about the frivolous and can I talk about the fashions? And yes, give my three, two, one. Yep. yep. So uh, the family WhatsApp has been buzzing over the past twelve hours about this. The girls are all completely feeding in. Um, none of my girls said Cynthia Arivo, who receives my number one vote for her amazing black Louis Vuitton outfit. It was a zipped jacket and then this long skirt with a train. It looked like it was in satin, I think. Absolutely stunning. Zoe Kravitz in pale pink silk, Yves Saint Laurent. She is so gorgeous and yep, she and, and she just looked beautiful. And my number three, which is just an amazing outfit, Zendaya in Valentino. It was that little crop top silk crop top silk white shirt that just came in just under her bust line and showed the waist, but then a high-waisted silver sequined skirt. Oh, she looked absolutely superb, classy, paired back, and just one amazing thing, which was, of course, the skirt. Didn't overdo it with the jewellery. Perfect balance. Girls, if you trying to work out your Brownlow outfit and you've got a reasonable body. And even if you haven't, who cares? Show, show a bit of tummy. It was such a great dress, skirt mm. skirt top. I think I can see you in it, Caro. Oh, <laughs> I can't. Seriously. I thought, I thought Uma Thurman in just a white shirt and a really nice Do you remember the time you took me pants. to the Brownlow as your guest and, and I wore my top, top upside, upside down? down. <laughs> I had a beautiful skirt, high, high-waisted skirt on that night, but the, my top was upside down. What did you think of Nicole's outfit? Uh, it was okay. Interestingly, there was another actress whose name escapes me who had a very similar shaped dress in cream. I can't remember who she was. Um, I didn't mind. I, I loved the colour of Nicole's. I was a bit concerned when I saw her on the red carpet. I thought, mm, if you get Best Oscar, uh, how are you going to walk up those stairs? It was quite a tight skirt. Um, wasn't sure how she was going to do that. But, hey, she didn't need to in the end. 
bit sad being the Ricardos. Oh, but but you know, in the Aussies did well. You know, Greg Fraser, who we talked about recently, um, in the Batman, he he did win, which we thought he would for June Best Cinematographer. Jane Campion made one one of the more classy speeches oh, yeah, of the she, night. I always I felt she was a bit she was slightly smug. Oh. Well, she's only the third woman in history to win two Oscars know, as a female I know. director. I just, oh, I could have worked a bit on the speech if she'd let me. Oh, I, really? Yeah. I loved Troy uh, Kotsu, who won Best Supporting Actor for Coda. Oh, he was fantastic. That was such a beautiful speech. Yeah, that that, that really was. And, and all the there were three Coda acceptance speeches and they were all fantastic. And the signing was so emotional Well, I'm too. looking forward to hearing your review of that film a little bit later on. Corrie, an extraordinary night of television, but they need to go back to the drawing board. One last thing, the fact that I guess Disney must own, clearly own ABC, or that we know that they've got a financial involvement with ABC, owned by Disney. The Disney promotion all through the night, and it was shameless. I mean, it wasn't in any way unbiased, and I thought that was really disappointing with all the promos, including the Spider-Man thing, as you said earlier. I've seen Amy Schumer on stage. She's fabulous, but there was a lot of shameless promoting, and I think they real. I don't mind that it runs long, if it runs long with the right sort of decisions, but have you've got all these great live yes people musical. yes and bring back bring back the Cecil B DeMille award get them well well they had all of that but they just didn't we didn't see it they didn't show them on the night and um no look there was a lot of very very strange moments and um the production was look it was really poor caro i don't know whether you saw it just one last thing but christos locus uh, wrote a terrific piece in the saturday paper on the weekend does anyone really care about the oscars anymore my own faith in their legitimacy was destroyed in 1982 in my final year in high school. I had watched all five films nominated for Best Picture over that summer. And when it was announced that Hugh Hudson's leaden historic drama Chariots of Fire had won over Warren Beatty's lushly romantic Reds and Louis Mull's exquisite chamber piece Atlantic City, I turned off the television and muttered to myself, they have no bloody idea said Christos at 16. Yeah, well, it is all about the publicity campaign often, isn't it? And that's, um, oh, look, it, it was just, um, yeah, Hollywood, a lot to answer for. Will with Will Smith be expelled from the Academy? I doubt he'll have to give back his Oscar because... Um, um, well, will he rock up next year and, and, and give the and, and give the I was best going to say award? that um, Weinstein's still got all his Oscars, so if, if he yes. gets to keep his, I don't think that you're going to take away Will Smith's. But, yeah, violence in that... It, it was just, it was quite horrifying. Corrie, as always at this moment, we need a drink. So Miles Thompson joins us for the Cocktail Cabinet, brought to us by Prince Wine Store, bringing you the greatest wines in the world. And remember, jump on princewinestore.com.au and tell them that Carol and Corrie sent you. M-E-S-S all in capitals, at checkout online. You'll receive a listener discount or you can visit their wonderful store in South Melbourne. Miles, today we're going to talk liqueurs. Yeah, absolutely. It's sort of turning to autumn, so weather's a little bit cooler. So I thought some um, awesome liqueurs. It kind of came from a conversation about, you know, the change in season and what's coming out. And I thought this marionette producer makes some amazing Aussie liqueur. There's something about liqueurs that takes me back even before I was drinking to the 70s. I just remember parents after dinner parties knocking off about two bottles of Tia Maria, just the two of them. No, no, that's a joke. No, I just remember parents sitting long into the night over a table drinking liqueurs. And then we might have done it, Carol, a little bit in our early drinking career. But mm. then suddenly in the mid-80s and late 80s, they just disappeared. They vanished Maybe a brandy, but not, not any of that. Not port. We've talked about port before with you, Miles. But it's funny how these trends just all of a sudden it's so out of vogue. This is marionette, and they're they're all Australian. Well, they're all Victorian based as well. They started about sort of I think four or five years ago. Now I I tried them years ago, and they were they were definitely very good. And I tried them again recently, and they just they've gone up another level. They're just really some of the best liqueurs I've had. We stock some really great French stuff at work, which is which is awesome. But it's so nice to have something local. Um, they source all their fruit locally in Victoria. They work with just two or three farmers, but that sort of gives them everything. And they've got, you know, creme de mure, creme de cassis. They've got a couple of curacaos, the orange curacaos. They've got a peach liqueur. They've got a peach brandy. Um, 
they've got this really awesome, uh, what they call bitter curacao. So it's an orange-based sort of spirit with some other bits and pieces, and it's almost like a like an aperol. Um, it's fantastic. Um, and then one of my favorites that they do is the Noisette, uh, which is, um, sorry, Nocino. And it's a green walnut, so harvested when it's still soft and green. And then it's soaked in, you know, like a, a neutral sort of brandy. And then it's spiced with various other spices. It has this lovely sort of green tart, sweet, spice, nutty thing going on. And it oh, is my God. Fantastic. It sounds like a Christmas cake, Miles. <laughs> So good. Do so you drink good. it on its own? Yeah, look, you could just drink it on its own if you wanted. That's that's how I would sort of have it. Um, you know, you could have it after dinner. It'd be absolutely sort of perfect for that sort of thing. It's got a little bit of a, you know, walnut's got a bit of that kind of bitter bite and it, they've kept that bitterness, which is really nice because it offsets the sweetness. Um, really well done. And most of their liqueurs, they're a lot, they're not as sweet as traditional liqueurs as well. So... Miles, um, I've they, just jumped onto the yeah. marionette.com.au website. I'm actually holding up my screen to Carol and Miss Jane here. The bottles, the labels are absolutely exquisite. Yeah, so good. They've just, they've really sort of nailed everything really. Like, you know, not just great, I mean, it's great to have great packaging, but, you know, you always hope you see these things and the, is the product going to be good? And the product is just really outstanding. They've won heaps of awards. Um, so fantastic. That, so sorry, Miles. That seems to be the trend. Um, liqueurs that are, you know often more bitter than sweet, and um, whereas That's we right. always used to go for the sweet, didn't we? So, for example, is this the bitter curacao? Is that would that be like a digestive as well? Yeah. So that, that's it's kind of that that one's really awesome because it's kind of versatile. You could have it. You know, you could make. Um, an Americano with it. You could kind of do an Aperol spritz kind of thing with it. You could have it, you know, just on ice with a little sort of wedge of orange at the start. You could have it just at the end because it's got that nice little bitter clip to it. Um, so really sort of versatile um, product. Um, some of their others are a little more, you know, the creme de mure and things like that and the peach liqueur, they're a little more well, the, cocktail based. The, but, pe- but the peach liqueur I'm looking at here, and there are still peaches in our fruit and veg stores, as we know. And um, I'm looking at the Marionette website, and it says for turbo bellinis. Oh, yeah. Don't yeah. you love yeah. a bellini? Peach liqueur yeah. is a great, I mean, it, fresh peach juice is nice in a bellini, but peach liqueur is even nicer. How, how much does yeah. the Nocino set us back, Miles? So the, the, the whole range is about 60 bucks each. They sort of hit that sort of 60 bucks price point, and I think they're 500 mil bottles. So, I mean, look, really good for what they are, all locally sourced too. I mean, that's, that's the other thing that's great about these as well. They're all, they're all Victorian. Um, you know, I think they get their peaches and things from Mildura and their oranges from Mildura and... They have another farmer they work closely with where they get a lot of their berries from. So, you know, the, um, the blackberries and things like that. Um, so, so we, yeah, we wander down to Prince Wine products. Store and they're all available? Yeah, okay, I haven't got all of them, but I've got um, the, the Bitter Curacao, the Curacao, I have the Creme de Mure, the Nocino, and I think I have one of the others as well. So not the full range, but... I'll probably eventually get it all in. If everyone keeps demanding it, I'll just keep getting more in. I feel a trend coming on, Miles. That, <laughs> I hope so. That is a brilliant recommendation. As you say, digestive, aperitive, great to mix with cocktails, great to mix with champagne, or just great curry to have on its own at the end of a long day. Absolutely. It sounds Absolutely. like it sounds like the cocktail version of the little black dress, Caro. <laughs> you wear it at day and then put on a pair of pearls and it goes out at night. That was the cocktail cabinet. Thank you, Miles. Brought to us by Prince Wine Store. See you next week. See you next week. Corrie, now for Red Energy, it is time to talk BSF, book, screen and food, and you're going to kick us off with love stories. Love stories by your favourite man, Trent Dalton, who is now my favourite man, Caro, because we have an episode of the book pod where I interviewed Trent Dalton. If anybody would like to subscribe to the book pod, you can find it where you find your usual podcasts. We had a great chat, Trent Trent and I, and we actually released that episode on appropriately on Valentine's Day. This book, Caro, came into bookshops at the end of last year, and it has last week it won the indie not only best nonfiction book of the year it won the book of the year the award for all of the category winners 
Uh, it has been in the top five since its release just prior to Christmas. And in the lead up to St. Valentine's Day last month, it held the number one position. So clearly love was in the air and everybody wanted a copy of this to give to their loved one. This is a an amazing project that Trent Dalton, who, as we know, is a Walkley Award-winning uh, journalist, as well as being a best-selling author. We all know Boy Swallows Universe and what a fine book that was and how many copies around the world it sold. In fact, did you know, Caro, that Trent Dalton's three books have sold a million, over a million copies? So that's incredible for an Australian that's author. That's extraordinary. Three books he's produced and he's already a million seller. Anyway, so for two months in 2021, remember that Trent lives in Brisbane, not Melbourne, so he wasn't in a lockdown condition. He he inherited from a, a friend's mother who, to whom he was very close. When she died, she left him her Olivetti typewriter. And he decided for these two months in 2021, he would sit on one of Brisbane's busy intersections right in the heart of the CBD. He set up his portable chair and his portable table and his typewriter, and he had a sign saying, um, if you have a sentimental writer collecting love stories, do you have one to share? So people would walk past him and ask him what he was doing, and then they would sit down and share love stories, love stories about a husband who died, love story uh, between a girl and girlfriend, love stories with, uh, there's a wonderful story of, of or a few stories actually of migrants who have left loved ones behind. Love comes in many different shapes and sizes, loves for children, loves for animals. And as he says in the book, you would not believe the things people will tell you when you take the time to shut the hell up and listen. That's a great advice for journalists as we know, Carol. It is. It the is. wisdoms, the secrets and the stories to heartbreaking, triumphant, romantic, exhilarating, hilarious, tragic and wondrous just like life. Now, what I love about this book from just putting my journo hat on, I mean, if I was still selling books and I was a bookseller, I'd be thrilled with the sales. But from a journalistic point of view, Trent Dalton has achieved what I think is perfect journalism. <clears throat> he has got out on the road. He is listening. He's taking notes. And then often he is following up with people because he dissects what he has what he's heard, and then he might chase them up again. For uh, just one more thing, I wanted to ask you. He's also incredibly observant. At one point, he goes into into a cafe to get a takeaway coffee, and he sees two girls sitting at a table. With their, they say something, they laugh warmly, and across the table, their foreheads touch, as in affection. And he goes up to them and says, oh, "I'm terribly sorry. I don't want you to think I'm crazy, but can I just ask what just happened then?" And he explains what he's doing. Now, that takes courage, as you know, and as I know, it's sometimes really hard to ask the obvious question when you're a journalist. I wonder but if he's famous talk, enough that people ever recognised him. They did. A few people did say, oh, aren't you that Boy Swallows Universe guy? So there was a bit of that. But but in Australia, as we know, our authors so seldom are the celebrities that they would be if they were in England or America, where we would know their faces. So Trent Dalton's face is not that well known. But when people talked to him, and some people did recognise him, he said that. But what we have here is a beautiful collection of love stories, and it really makes you think about the human heart in all of its guises. And I, I love this book, and I think if anybody out there in particular, I, I mean, it's a great gift because it's a beautiful little hardcover and it's a very affordable price. But if anybody does have anyone in their midst who wants to be a writer or a journalist, I would suggest you give them a copy of this because there are some excellent lessons in this book. So that's Love Stories by Trent Dalton. Now, on to screen, and I want to hear all about Coda, Best Picture. Yes, well, I saw this film um, while I was away in Amsterdam late last year and I watched it on, I think I must have watched it on Apple TV one night when I was babysitting Sunday. And I, I actually thought about reviewing it for the podcast the following week because we were doing those remote editions. But then I went and saw the Kristen Stewart movie, Spencer. So I did that instead. I'm sorry, worst outfit at the Oscars for a big high profile star, just saying. Yeah, her hair was interesting. Oh, short. who wears shorts? Well, she's okay. pretty gorgeous. Oh, now, CODA um, is an acronym for Child of Deaf Adults. And this, is, on one level, is a romantic comedy. On another level, it's a feel-good film. On another level, it's a musical. Um, but it, it was a smallish film, so I was shocked, shocked when it won the Oscar, you know, against, you know, the more high 
favoured things like the power of the dog, etc. But I was happy at one because I really enjoyed it. And I remember when the kids came home, I said, oh, I've just watched the most beautiful movie. You should watch it. It made me cry. So it's um, – Is it well, on the pic- in the picture theatres now? No, but I reckon it will be after this. Surely they'll put it on the big screen. This It's a remake of a French film made in 2014. It took ages to get made because originally um, the producers wanted to cast not deaf but hearing actors to play actors who couldn't hear. And the the direct, the people behind the film fought and fought and fought, or sorry, the studio, I should say, um, the producers fought and fought and fought. And in the end, Marley Matlin, who, of course, won an Oscar for Children of a Lesser God and who is deaf, she signed on and that sort of got the picture off and running. She plays the mother of Ruby, who is played by Amelia Jones, who is a gorgeous actor, and she is not deaf. Have I seen her before anywhere? I never had. I never had. And Troy Kotzer, of course, plays Frank Rossi, the father. And Daniel Durant, who is also fantastic and also deaf, plays Leo Rossi, her brother. So she has a deaf mother, father and brother, hearing impaired. And um, they run a really struggling fishing business in a gorgeous part of Massachusetts. I mean, it's beautiful where it's set. They live in a very modest house. They always have money worries. There is no glossing. There is no glossy sort of treatment of what it is like to live in a family who all have, who are all severely hearing impaired, who cannot hear. Um, it, it's quite extraordinary. I mean, she has to deal with the embarrassment of having friends around and their bodily functions. The mother and the father are absolutely obsessed by each other, even though they're, you know, they've got almost grown children and they're, you know, always having wild and noisy sex. And you know, it's a, there's all this stuff that you know both of the kids have to put up with. But particularly Amelia, because she has to help them do all the stuff on the fishing boat because she's the only one who can hear. So the selling of the fish, the dealing with problems on board, they need her to run their business and they're always semi-broke but they're a very happy and close family but all the problems you can imagine that would happen when only one member of the family can hear emerge and it's just um and then she discovers she discovers a school choir and she joins a school choir and she's not not an outcast at school but you know there's some pretty there's a bit of mean girls behavior she joins a school choir the local hunk is also in the school choir. They're put together to do a duet. There's a classic, you know, boy meets girl, boy loses girl, et cetera, et cetera. But it turns out she has this supreme talent and her family, particularly her mother, played by Marley Matlin, don't just feel she's being incredibly selfish in walking away from the family business. And what ensues, I mean, there are a couple of killer scenes, but the scene when she finally gets to the Estedford or whatever it is they're performing at the competition and she performs this song and realises her family is there and what she does to ensure that they, although they can't hear, can hear her. Oh, it's just beautiful. So I really really recommend it. It's a really good film. As I say, though, it's a small film and it was a – apparently it gained momentum in recent weeks with all the publicity and the fact that it's feel good and because of its themes. But I'm still amazed at one and I'm, you know, I'm I'm not sorry at one. Many years ago I did a, a feature story for The Age I spent time with a family, a deaf family, and they had two sons who had hearing, and that was the most interesting experience. And um, the kids are certainly um, are, are just so important to not just the family structure, of course, but but just getting on with um, day-to-day living. I was really uh, – it came home when Troy Kotzer, who won the Best Supporting Actor, paid tribute to his father and said his father was the most perfect sign language expert that he knew – and then had that tragic accident where he was paralysed from the neck down and couldn't communicate with his deaf son. Oh. It was just tragic, tragic. Well, it, it, was, um, it was a very real handling of, you know, it, it, it did not in any way. I mean, it's sort of, uh, without giving too much away, there's, there's sort of, it's certainly not a sad ending and some wonderful things happened. And it might seem a bit Pollyanna at the end, but no, it was it's Well, it a really sounds good like film. a deserved, it's a little film, but it sounds like a deserved best picture. Well, it, you know, there were, I haven't seen June, you know, full disclosure. There are a few of the films that were nominated I haven't seen, but I really did enjoy Coda. Now, Corrie, you've got a lovely autumnal bar snack sort of yeah it's it, it's super quick and there's no real recipe to follow here but figs are figs are now in season or coming into season as we know and one of my favorite bar snacks years ago my friend Doris um, 
presented this on a platter. And Doris, I bring it out every autumn without fail. Carol, you've had it 300 times at my place. It's beautiful. But all you do is you just uh, firmish figs, not not overripe ones, firmish figs, cut them into four or six little pieces, um, quarters um, or little, you know, um, slice slithers, I suppose. Any fig, and white figs, doesn't matter, what, figs. whatever you want. But I think with the pink flesh, they look really pretty. And then any, um, I say any creamy cheese of your choice. Often, sometimes you have after uh, a dinner or something, you'll have little bits and pieces of blue cheese or you things left over. always have leftover yeah. cheese. This is a really good way to use your leftover cheese. So sometimes I'll use a, a really um, uh, pugnant, um, tasty brie that might be left there or blue cheese, which is uh, what Doris had originally served this with. So you put a little bit of that and then you wrap the fig and wrap around the fig and the cheese uh, a thin slice of prosciutto. So usually prosciutto is quite wide. I always just cut it or pull it in half and twist it around and around and it will just sit there. You don't have to use a skewer or anything. Put it on the no plate. No toothpick? No, I don't use it. No toothpick. devils on horseback type vibe? <laughs> no vibe like that because the, the, because the because the cheese is a bit sticky, you know, the prosciutto will stay in place. Make sure that it is a clean look. You can get – I have done it before with fingers full of cheese and it all ends up looking a bit messy. So really do make sure that the presentation is spot on. And because I just drizzle some um, some oil over it, I remember Doris has done it with balsamic vinegar, um, which you could if you wanted to, but lots of black pepper on the top. And I always try and add a bit of green. So it might be a sprinkle of just really, really finely chopped rocket or something like that just to give it a bit of a green look. It is the most perfect taste sensation. We know this from the Italians because how many times have we all had uh, melon and prosciutto? It's a perfect combo. And figs I think you can do lots of things with, but this is a sublime, easy pass around. So, sorry, tell me again, how long, in just in a hot oven? No, you don't cook them. Oh, you don't cook it? No, you I've, don't cook see, it. See, I've had it cooked. No, you don't cook it. Oh. No, because the cheese would go everywhere. No, 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 it, t- it, takes, it takes five minutes to prepare. But the key is, the two things to remember is you, your fig has to be quite firm and your, your cheese can't be too runny. And that's okay. it's just perfect. It's perfect. The most my friend, perfect my friend Joe used to do a cooked version, and the cheese did get a bit melty and that oily. would be delicious. But no, that's not this recipe. Well, so it that's it. Beautiful, so, Corrie. so figs with prosciutto and cheese, a cream cheese or blue cheese, whichever one is absolutely um, my tip. Now, Caro, uh, are you grumpy? Oh, Corrie, I've taken a leaf out of your book today. Traffic. It's an it's an automobile <coughs> based grumpy. And we know, you're absolutely right, Melbourne's buzzing again. I mean, I went to dinner in Fitzroy last week. The joint was jumping. Everywhere was packed. It was so much fun. Going out to dinner remains a bit of an occasion because it still feels like a novelty. But, Corrie, is there any chance people can park properly? Any chance? And Jane, you might laugh. It's such a pathetic little grumpy. But parks are premium again. You know, what? what's the saint... The saint is it Saint Tom? Who's the saint of getting a good parking spot? Anyway, what? He there's oh there's a saint. We used to talk about him um, at our house. He wasn't with me last week. He hasn't been with me for weeks. Could First someone all, please let us know who is the patron saint of car, car people, parking? People people who park over people's driveways. People who park with half a car space in front of them. So what should be a four car park becomes a three car park. sometimes that's unavoidable, Cara, because the person who's been there before in front of you has had a lazy park. So then it spreads like a domino theory. I don't claim to be a good driver, but I'm a very good parker. It's something I remember, it was one thing I really focused on when I had driving lessons. And as you know, I didn't get my license till I was 21. I'm a very good reverse parker. I can fit into any spot, but I have been challenged like you would not believe in believe in recent weeks. And I do think there are some very selfish parkers out there. I know it sounds ridiculous, but I'm going to leave it at that. Even in car parks where I park a lot, and I park at the MCG a lot, people park over other people's spots. Can I can I pile on to your traffic um, grumpy and just say, Swan Street, Punt Road, what the hell? Where do I go? Which lane? From whichever direction I'm going, which lane am I in? The right one, the wrong one? What if I want to go right? What if I want to go left? I'm always in the wrong lane. Miss Jane's putting her bib in now. Uh, the 
Unofficial patron saint of parking is Mother Cabrini, who oh, moved to New York in the 1890s. I thought before opening up a hospital in I've Melbourne. i heard of another one, but Mother Cabrini. So apparently you say, Mother Cabrini, Mother Cabrini, please find a spot for my little machinery. Oh, is... <laughs> it's true. It's become a thing. It's Can a you thing just again. just chant it now, Kara? Just say those No, words. I'm not going to. Jane said it well enough for all of us. Anyway, that's my grumpy. Now for Red Energy, it's time for six quick questions. You okay. can kick us off, Corrie. Caro, the televising of Shane Warne's memorial, which network do you think got it right? Well, in the end... Declaring your vested interest because you're a Channel 9 uh, a employee. Channel 9, and then, of course, it... it it's um it's going to be a wonderful event. We're speaking just before the memorial for Shane, the state funeral for Shane Warne is happening at the MCG. Um, Eddie Maguire, close friend of the Warne family, is hosting. So he's not hosting Footy Classified on Wednesday night. Pretty good excuse to get out of work, which is absolutely fine. But Channel Nine initially announced they were going to run it on their second channel, Gem, and I just felt that that probably was the wrong decision, particularly when Channel Seven are running straight out of 7 o'clock with a live telecast of the Shane Warne State Funeral live on their number one channel. Now, I know 7 at the moment have the cricket rights, but Shane Warne felt to me like a Channel 9 person. All those years on and off the footy show, his relationship with Eddie, so many years hosting the footy show, and, and of course, Channel 9 all those years with the cricket. Just like the Oscars always feels like a Channel 9 event. I just was a bit underwhelmed by Channel 7. Back in the days of the, you know when the media spent money on things. You'd go to Channel 9 and they'd have French champagne all day and beautiful food and you'd just stand around and watch the Oscars. And also high-quality ads because it costs so much to put an ad on during Oscars. Yes. I was oh. underwhelmed by the ads yesterday. Well, you can't, can't really blame them for that. But anyway, um, Nine have now done the right thing and they're televising it on their main channel. It might cost them some money. Nine or seven? No, well, seven already right. were. Oh, so nine. Nine yeah, is, sorry. although not nationally. I think it's going on the second channel outside of Victoria. But I think Shane Warne State Funeral, whatever you might, you know, there are people, you know, there's a bit of a, a little bit of a backlash now about the naming of the stand and it was too hasty. I still think it was a very good decision and I think it's going to be an extraordinary event and I, I think he merits it. I really do. Corrie, which line uttered by a senior Liberal in the Morrison government took you back to the 1970s when I- you were but a child? <laughs> Yeah, but I think we said it a lot. So this was revealed to me in Paul Bongiorno's column again in the Saturday paper when he was talking about the Federal Liberal Party's response to the South Australian election result, which was a big loss for the Libs. And um, Paul Bongiorno was asking, does this spell trouble for the Morrison government? And the PM said, oh, the South Australian election was fought mostly on state issues. But apparently one seasoned Liberal source said to Paul Bongiorno, don't believe any of it. They are cacking themselves. <laughs> <laughs> when was the last time you said, oh, I cacked myself? Well, actually, not so long ago. I do say it occasionally. I reckon it's a great description. It is description. just such a great word. I'm back to cacking myself. Where did it go? It just disappeared from a lingo. I love it. I'm the, cacking um, myself. You know how you don't say that you're spewing anymore? You know, he was spewing. You know, I was spewing. I still remember our friend Gab Trainer, who was moving house back in the who is age, now who's now an AFL commissioner. And a, and a revered board member across Australia and, and a real mover and shaker in this Aussie <laughs> landscape. But anyway, she was moving house and for some bizarre reason, I think we were in the late 80s, early 90s, Warwick Kappa was a removalist. She was living in Sydney <laughs> and Warwick Capper was working for some removal company and I hope Gabs doesn't mind me telling this story and the removal company lost these two really nice cushions and Gabs said to Warwick, look, I'm a bit disappointed that, you know, um, my cushions have gone missing and Warwick goes, yeah, I'd be spewing too. <laughs> And to this day in our family, it's just become, yeah, I'd be spewing too. <laughs> anyway, sorry. And I'm cacking myself now at Warwick Capper's. It was just one of the great lines. One of the great lines by Warwick Capper. I just, the picture of Warwick Capper in a remove. I, anyway. I know, I know. I'd be spewing too. Nah. Um, my turn. Yes. Um, I've been completely dislodged by that. <laughs> um, Caro, is your next car going to be electric? Look, I'd like it to be, Corrie. I'm a bit concerned about all that charging up. And um, 
a good friend of yours. Well, I, as you know, this morning I completely forget to charge my phone. phone what if charger. I forget to charge my car? Well, I think the answer, and a lot of people are doing it, and it's clearly better for the environment than, you know, full petrol or diesel is the hybrid. Save a lot of money on petrol. It charges itself. And if I don't get an electric, and electric cars are obviously still very expensive, and I'm not, my master's great. It's been going for nine or 10 years. I'm not going to get rid of it yet, but um, I think- Is cash for comment? I'll like, no, because I've fully paid for it and I don't expect to get a free service anytime soon. But um, no, I reckon the old um, hybrid is the model where, you know, you're paying about one quarter the price on petrol and you're doing something. But I think we all have to go to electric cars. Agreed. I really do. They need they need to be cheaper. Corrie, would you have run onto the ground when Big Lance kicked his thousand thousandth last week. Well, if he was playing for Hawthorne, what do you reckon? Well, it's Corrie. Of course it's a, I would bigger than the bigger than a club, this event, Corrie. Even well, are, you asking me, are you asking me as a, as a non-Swan supporter would I run on or are you asking me as a Hawthorne supporter if Buddy was still? I'm asking you, if you'd been there, would you have run onto the ground? Oh, yeah, I would have got carried away with the moment totally. But if if it, if if he was still playing for Hawthorne, I would have been leading the charge. I think it's a you know, under thirty thing, a bit like wearing footy jumpers oh, to the Caro. footy. Oh, Caro! I mean, no kids. Kids always ran onto the Your ground. Dad. Well, the extraordinary thing about did you become about, conservative? Well, we used to love running onto the ground. Yes, but I was, you know, twelve at the time. The extraordinary thing about I used to run onto the ground under tens gladiators. If we'll, <laughs> if we'll get you. Well, that's just being a tragic soccer mom, really. I, I just thought it was amazing that so many older people ran onto the ground. That no, was a, I wasn't. It, it showed how um, separate we've come from our stars and how much we loved being able to, to touch them again. It, it was a real statement on I did hear you all, footy. all on um, Saturday morning on 3RW talking about how concerned you were about safety. Everybody was looking out for Buddy. Oh, no, that wasn't my main take out of it. I thought it was fantastic. But after nine minutes, I was getting a bit concerned. I could tell even he was getting a bit claustrophobic. um, But Lee Matthews said it best, modern footballer has to man up. You know, we were whacked every week. You're not allowed to say that anymore. Well, that's what Lee said. (laughs) Carol, what's your... So yes, you would have known. Yes, I I would have. have. Um, What's your GLT? Well, I'm not going to go into a huge amount of detail about this, Corrie, because some people don't like to think about these things. It's a bit like people not wanting to talk about a colonoscopy. (laughs) But Terry Brax, a great friend of this program, told me about this a few weeks ago. She said, I have a GLT and you really, really need to know this is life changing. You can do your own pap smear now. Did you know that? No. Girls, um, and apparently a lot of people we know have been putting this off for a long time as they do. Did you know that you can go to a clinic, you can self-administer the test in the clinic bathroom, like a long cotton bud, you leave with the desk scarf, a few years later, desk staff, a few weeks later, you get the result. It couldn't be easier. And Terry has been telling all her female friends, encouraging them just to tick off that extra maintenance issue. I oh, see, I like Dr. Catherine. I feel in safe hands. I think Terry's tip is terrific. It's like the bowel cancer screening, which is odd and weird. You send your stools off in the Australia Post. Oh. I but, know. Um, but but, but you know what? It's great. Do it, everyone, because it works. You get confirmation or otherwise, and I guess the pap smear thing is the same. I did not know that But you I could, love going to Dr. Catherine. I did not know you could do your own pap smear. So that is a rather icky but absolutely legitimate GLT, and I think everyone should get on to it. Dr. Catherine also is in book club. She, we always have lots of discussions about books, which is always fascinating. With my my obstetrician gynecologist, um, oh, he's a Collingwood fanatic, and we, we always get onto football, which is at times a little bit strange. But anyway, I'm not. Oh, going well, to go speaking there. of colonoscopies, Doctor Adrian, who was once giving me my colonoscopy, I have to have it regularly because there's bowel cancer in my family. Um, he he was just about to do the insertion thing, and um, and he said, now. Um, I was. I read your story in the Age the other day. Now, what do you think about as as, as he's about to? You yeah, know, I know. Thank well, you. I wish you didn't even know who I was, Doctor. Well, how do you I think just I want to be anonymous? We're talking about Jordan Degoe, <laughs> Corrie. What is this week's amazing fact, Corrie? Settle You're yourself. Talking about Jordan Degoe with your with your legs I'm, wide I'm open. I'm not. I'm not. Well, can't you just say that's a good moral dilemma for Decoe and Corey? <laughs> what is what? What should you not talk about? What should gynecologists not mention when they're 
Corrie, looking up a what woman's is this week's amazing fact? Just to kick off a rather silly show. Okay, and it's not a silly show. <laughs> um, we're caught, we're light entertainment in a week of difficult news, Caro. Look, Caro, I, I, of course, it is fifty years since Cabaret, one of the most wonderful musicals, one of the most terrific films. It really set Liza Minnelli apart from her mother. She was a star in her own right. After this, indeed, she won the best the best actress Oscar. So, a few little interesting facts. Happy birthday, Cabaret! And if you haven't seen it, kids, for goodness' sake, try and find it somewhere on on a screen near you. It was based on the um, the book series of books by British author Christopher Isherwood called The Berlin Stories, all set in Berlin in the 1930s. And of course, you know. Christopher Isherwood because he pops up in The Master by Colin Toybean. He does. He's the squeeze of W.H. Auden. Um, the film that won, it was it, it won eight Oscars, but it did not win Best Picture. That, of course, went to The Godfather. Joel Grey, who was the MC, uh, won Best Supporting Actor. Um, it holds the record for winning the most Oscars, uh, but not the Best Picture Award. In 2007, it was ranked by American Film Institute as the 63rd greatest movie of all time. I think that's really tough. I would have had it in my top 20. 20 actors, Caro, auditioned for the role of Brian, which was eventually given to Michael York, um, including, this is such an interesting list, Malcolm McDowell, who was pretty hot at the time after Clockwork Orange, uh, Jeremy Irons, and Timothy Dalton, (laughs) Wow, he would have been very young. Very weird too. So Um, would Jeremy Irons. Um, Sally Bowles, which is just completely has Liza Minnelli's imprint on it for Who is a real life character. Yes, who died died, um, uh, the year after this film came out. I think she died in 1973. Those considered for the role included Julie Andrews, your mother's favourite actress. Not, not. And Margaret, who we talked about last week in Viva Las Vegas. Shirley MacLaine, who I think in 1972 might have been a tad old for Sally Bowles, maybe. Jane Fonda and guess who, Babs. Oh, yeah. no, Babs didn't have the legs for it, I don't think. Oh, Corrie, that's not true. Well, there's a lot of leg in the Berlin Cabaret and I think probably Babs. She was never a big one for showing off her body parts. Liza Minnelli was... She was brilliant in it. She was, she was brilliant. She was nominated for another lovely film called The Sterile Cuckoo, which yes. is a strange film, and she didn't. She thought she was going to win and didn't. And then with Cabaret, she didn't think she'd win, and of course she did. And um, oh yeah, look what a star she was. Anyway, I just wonder for those people who saw Liza Minnelli last night and might have a particular picture in their mind, I just want you to go and see Cabaret if you haven't seen it. So those are my amazing facts for this week, Caro. It's also worth seeing you in Arthur. She was great in yeah, Arthur. Yeah, she was great. So was. <laughs> Dudley Moore. The first one. I was absolutely Oh, and you know how I have a crush? I've always had a big crush on... um, John Gilgood? No, Al Pacino. (laughs) You know, Al Pacino and Dustin Hoffman are my favourite. You know, I've always had a thing for Al Pacino. I just, I did look at him the other night and I thought, not so much he's ageing, I thought, Corey, you're ageing. Yeah, go and see the House of Gucci. He doesn't really steal the show there. Anyway, Corey... Wonderful to see you again. Thank you to our podcast supporters, Red Energy, most satisfied customers 12 years in a row, and the wonderful Prince Wine Store. Don't forget to listen to our bonus episode, Dear Caro and Corrie, and connect with us via Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And if you want to get our show notes delivered to your inbox every week, hit the Sign Up button on Facebook or in our show notes, or send us an email and we'll subscribe you. Email feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au. Don't forget our live event coming up in just over a month, Thursday, May the 5th, our Mother's Day event at Bell's Hotel, 5.30pm is kickoff. And Corrie, don't shoot the messenger. This podcast is proudly supported by Red Energy, most satisfied customers 11 years in a row. Isn't it time you called Red Energy on 131 806?